HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers. Learn more at square.com slash go slash in the sauce. This week on Meet and 3, we look at how we've adapted to a new normal during the pandemic. From the business of restauranteering and the new habits of composters to learning from the past to prepare for the future, we're exploring what came before and what lies ahead. People in charge of the collections and the acquisitions looked at me and were like, what the hell are you trying to sell me cookery for? These kids are so young and we're teaching them that it's okay to throw out all this food and we have to figure out a way to educate these students to make them, you know, lifelong environmentalists. Tune in to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts for the latest stories in the world of food. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Allison Devon, founder of Teespressa, the company that created coffee-inspired tea blends designed to make tea drinks like lattes, just like their espresso counterparts. Teespressa's signature tea blends not only have the same consistency of coffee, but can be brewed at home like coffee. They now have three stores and are selling their blends and sugar cubes, which we're going to talk about, around the U.S. Allison has been featured in Vogue, selected as a member of the Tory Burch Foundation's Business Fellows Program, and appeared on Shark Tank early on in her journey. Welcome, Allison. Hi, how are you? Hi, good. I'm glad you're here. Um, I think you are my first Shark Tank minnow. Or oh, whatever no they call. Yeah, I think so. I think people are going to be very excited to hear about that and all of the assets and liabilities that kind of came with it. Um, but first off, where are you right now? How are you right now? Um, and I guess what's the current... I know you have brick and mortars. Yeah. Are you in places that are reopened or reopening? Like what's happening? Oh yeah, that is a very good way to start. <laughs> yeah. So, so physically right now, I'm currently in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm actually sitting in one of our locations right now in um, in Phoenix, and um, we have uh, so Teespresso, real quick in a nutshell. We have uh, four or we have three brick and mortar stores, um, two in Arizona, one in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And um, we sell online directly to the consumer. Um, and we also make our own products and totally manufacture everything here from um, Phoenix, Arizona. And we wow. ship it out to big distributors like Anthropology, Neiman Marcus, and, um, you know, all, all kinds of places. And so, um, yeah. Very cool. It's actually, it's, you know, when I, when I first sort of heard about you, I thought, about me to some extent, because, um, 
Well, just because, uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, um, in a good way. I want to no, hear. Because, yeah, no, I hear. Um, well, because I think you know a lot of because because I think there's a difference between businesses that start with a brick and mortar and branch into products, absolutely, um, than businesses that do it the other way. And sometimes that's an asset for us, and sometimes it's a little bit of a liability for us. Like we're oh, sort yeah. of we're sort of like the hippies in the room. A little bit because we're creating space and we're trying to build like you know in real life community and that's different than what's been sort of like the the businesses that have sort of been like the growth businesses um yeah in the past several years um so are you are are they reopened are they reopening or yeah so when everything happened it was just kind of like I, I had a coming to Jesus moment. I had no idea what was going to happen. And I thought I right. was honestly going to lose everything. Um, and so I really took time to kind of like restructure the business, separate the different businesses that I have. So basically I have brick and mortar and then I'll have D2C and wholesale on one side of the other business. And with right. the, the brick and mortar is the one I'm really concerned with now because, you know, it's just, it's a, it's yeah. a physical place to go. People have to go there and, yeah. you know, our stores especially are very, very experiential. It's all about right. being in there physically. And, you know, so we are reopened now. Um, it hasn't been a easy process. Um, there's just been like a lot of like figuring things out, especially with like, you know, not knowing what we're dealing with. And right. Um, I mean, how I would describe it is just like, I feel like being an entrepreneur is already tough as it is. Like we're always trying to figure things out and always adjusting to the times and always trying to do this with like a $5 budget. And so to do it with like a, you know, a global pandemic, is just kind of like, I I almost feel like I just entered like the boss level at a video game. It's just like, okay, how do we? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And like, I didn't plan to get that mushroom. Like it was an accident and then I ate it. And now I'm like on the new level and there are like new doors and now I'm confused, but yeah. I, I feel you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yes. So we're open and we're just trying to figure things out still Yeah. every day. Well, I think, you know, I mean, so it's actually, I don't think, I guess I haven't really talked about this on the podcast yet, but I did decide not to reopen um, my cooking school, um, which has been a very painful process, Um, but it is a brick and mortar that is not only dependent on people coming, but, you know, hundreds of private events and like corporate events and weddings and team building and, uh, you know, a year. Um, And without those or with those kind of cut in half or even more, or just the uncertainty of not knowing if we're going to be able to do them or how, um, I've made the decision to focus on, you know, the CPG business. Um, But I think one of the... Yeah, I mean, it's it's the right decision. You know, it doesn't mean that it's not, it's you know, bittersweet. hard. Yes. Um, but I guess going back to sort of, you know, I always talk about sort of this pie chart. And one of the reasons why I started the sauces to begin with in 2017-ish, 2018, was because I, you know, a healthy ecosystem has diversity in it. And when you grow one type of crop, it's really susceptible to like a bad storm. Um, And so it seemed to me like, okay, I need to build this brand with other sales channels. Um, And and that's what you did, you know? I mean, yes, okay, so your brick and mortar might be a little bit, you know, hampered at the moment, but you know, and, and to some extent, like anthropology is also hampered, but if you do a good online business, then people are at home more than ever and they need something to comfort them and they need something, you know, they're, they're more inclined to start sort of creating new traditions and rituals for themselves, especially around, you know, something like tea, um, than, than ever before. Um, so it's a lot of balls in the air and yet, 
you can't only have one ball in the air. And, you know, in my, in my opinion. Oh, I totally agree with you. I mean, if anything, uh, I mean, that's the biggest advice I always give to new entrepreneurs is just like, try it all because you'll never know what actually sticks on the wall. Just go for it and like diversify your income, you know? Yep. And so when all this happened, I was like, thank God I have, you know, the wholesale, even that part, I was kind of confused because like, you know, our mom and pop stores were like, they were also closing and stuff. And so I didn't know the certainty of that, but like online, like, you know, just the CPG products and stuff like that. So it's just, yeah, you gotta, yeah. I yeah. agree with you a thousand percent. Yeah. It's that balance of like throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks, but it, none of it can cost very much. It's like putting as <laughs> yeah. little investment into the thing that you throw on the wall as possible. And then if it starts to peel off the wall, you're like, nope. But if it sticks, then you're like, all right, I'm going to double down on this. I'm going to put more money in that. Um, yeah. And, you know, just as an aside, it, when we were, you know, when when it became pretty clear to me that this wasn't just going to be like, we're closed for two weeks and then we'll reopen. Yeah. Um, I considered, you know, what else can I do with that space? You know, do I make it a co-working space? Do I turn it into a, you know, production kitchen. Like, do I do this? Do I do that? And then I started to realize that I was kind of chasing after something to make something work that fundamentally wasn't working. Like there's this idea of, you know, A, on the front end, throwing things against the wall. But the other part of it for, I think, an entrepreneur is knowing when something is not going to work and and knowing when you know, the cost is sunk and it's no longer worth your while to put more money and energy into it. And that's very hard because they're all your babies Yeah, and you want them all to succeed. Um, and you want you, you, I think as a person, especially with like a founder spirit, feel like you can make it work because you've got grit. Um, but sometimes you just have to not make it work. Um, Yeah. Literally everything you just said was like what's been in my head for since this all went down. I'm just yeah. I just feel like you you kind of know. <laughs> yeah, like you said, you have this gut feeling, but you're like, oh come on, like if you know, I see the vision, I see where this can go, and I know it can work. But then it's just like you know, there's just some things that are just out of your control, and it's just like yep, you know, and. I think that's what this whole pandemic has kind of taught a lot of us, you know, they're in a way it's sort of sped up the process of weeding out what works and what doesn't, Absolutely. Um, you know, and it's just kind of made everything like very quick and painful as opposed to long and drawn out and painful. Yeah. Um, but before we get too depressed, let's go to <laughs> you um, starting this whole thing. And, and, you know, I know you grew up, I heard a podcast, you had an Air Force dad. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. There is some correlation. I have not done a deep dive, but I feel like kids that grew up kind of moving a lot um, tended yep. to be industrious and entrepreneurial. I think there's this idea of you know, putting on your sort of like brave face every time you went to a new school and absolutely in a way creating a new product every time you moved, you know? Um, yeah. Have you, do you kind of fall back on that a little bit? Do you think about that? I do. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very fortunate and very thankful to have like a family because we've traveled all around. And if anything, it just gets you exposed to different people, you know, diversity, just like all kinds of things you see things happening in different ways and, you know, people basically doing the same thing different ways. And if anything that shows, like show or taught me how to adapt to new environments, how to, you know, just, just make do with what you have. And growing up as a kid, I remember kind of like hating moving and starting over Mm -hmm. and doing that. But I mean, looking back, like it, it it was kind of cool. Like, you know, I, yeah. And I kind of have that same thing to this day where I have like different kinds of friends and different kinds of pockets. And, um, I feel like if anything, it's helped me relate to more different kinds of people, um, you know, and work with people that may 
may or may not be in your personality realm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know no, I mean? true, definitely. So. Yeah, and and it makes, you know, I think again it goes if you're trying to create like an ecosystem, you don't want to only be working with your personality realm or your background or your, you know, yeah, your lens on the world. The more lenses that you get, you know, the better. Um and were you, did you, when you were sort of that middle school or late grade school age, do you remember what you wanted to be or what you wanted to do? I mean, was there any interest in the Air Force or? I mean, I I had no idea what I wanted to be. Yeah. I, I just I kind of went through a whole bunch of jobs and I was like, well, whatever, when I get to college, I'll figure it out. And then college right. happened. You know, and I was like, ah, oh, senior year, senior year happened. I'll figure it out. Right. And then you're out and you're just like, crap. <laughs> no. Right. <laughs> and so I, I've always had several jobs ever since even the day I could work. I've had multiple jobs and I was kind of weird as a kid. I would call bakeries and call places and just be like, hey, like, I can't really work, but can I just volunteer and work? For right. And they'd be like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I right. want to just work because I just love learning and I wanted to just work. I guess I was kind of weird in that sense, but. Primarily food or? Yeah, like food, uh, food. I did tutoring. I did like, it didn't really matter. Like it, it was just like anything that sparked my interest. I'm like, I just want to learn more about that. So I should work right. there. And Well, I mean, that's <laughs> a good way. I mean, no, it's great. I, you know, I think that's, there's a word for that. I mean, I don't know. I think it's industrious probably is the right word. Um, But it does tend to be a character trait that tends to carry through, I think, life. You know, there are kids who like, you know, there are five-year-olds who are like, I'm going to make my room into a bookstore, you know, and then (laughs) they're like playing with, you know, they're just, they're kids like that. So I think that's pretty cool. And how did Tispressa come to be? Like what 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 happened? Yeah, so I got out of college and I just honestly just packed up and moved to New York with no plans. And one of my girlfriends was living there and worked several jobs and kind of ended up at this startup firm and I was just like, Oh my gosh, I freaking love this. Like you get mm-hmm. to you get to I get to be an accountant, I get to be an operator, I get to be, you know, in marketing, get to do all these positions and you make all these decisions. And the cool thing is the second you make the decision, five seconds later you see it live and interacting with customers. And yep. so I uh, that kind of sparked my interest of like I've always wanted to start a business, but once I kind of worked in that job, I was like, Oh yeah, this is what I wanna do. Um, and at the time I didn't know what, and I was like, again, this will come to me, I'm sure later in life or whatever. Um, and then my, uh, living in New York, it's hard to find an apartment. And at at the time I had a really great sweet spot. It was like a family friend deal and they were selling the building and I was like, well, I guess I should move back home to Phoenix and start (laughs) my business and live with my mom. And so, um, I did that and basically spent the holidays. I moved back at the time during the holidays, kind of like brainstorming what I like to do, what brings me joy. And I had this whiteboard and I would just write down all these things that I love doing and all these things that I didn't like doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad asked me, he's like, well, like if you get paid a million dollars to do anything, what would it be? And I was like, honestly, make lattes. Like it's weird, but I just love making <laughs> coffee. I love right. it. Like, that's what you should do. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's what I'll do. <laughs> so, he, he made it really simple. And uh, right. uh, I wanted to, from the start, I knew I wanted to make a, a global brand and something that would just change the world. And so um, decided to focus on making tea like coffee because I've grown up in tea. My mom's Korean and it's just been like, water for us and nothing really special like I don't crave it when I go outside but I was like how do I make tea cool like coffee where it's like I can enjoy making like the latte art and you know enjoy the caffeine Mm -hmm. and all those things because uh honestly I can't really drink coffee on a regular basis because it gives me headaches personally and so like how do I do this and um 
I just kind of uh, experimented a lot, um, found someone that was making espresso machines and called them up and said, hey, can you help me do this, this, and this to make this? And he's like, sure. And I was like, great. I'm going to fly up and see you next weekend. And he was in Portland. Um, and I told my dad, I was like, dad, I'm going to Portland and meeting this man in the woods. And he's like, you're not doing that on your own. <laughs> like, we're going to Portland. I'm going with you. And so, Aww. yeah. So we did that. And the rest is history. What kind of like developed the, the technology and filed a patent. And the name ga- the name came to me kind of like during the night. I think it was like four o'clock in the morning. I woke up and I was like, Tespressa. I bought the .com, Instagram, did all the handles. And yep. Amazing. So before we take a break, I just want to understand, so how did, so what goes into, instead of the grounds, instead of, you know, grounds and patting them down, is it leaves? Is it, have you done something to the leaves? Like how, or is that, is that the secret? Is there a secret? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's the <Yeah>. secret. <laughs> so, it's, uh, but that's a great question. I mean, it's the, it's the whole process. It's, it's the brewing process, the brewing temperature, the brewing times, uh, the tea, the particles of the tea. There's a lot that goes into it, but um, and that's the secret. But what we use is just all natural tea. It's all natural, organic, fair trade tea. Um, we don't have any additives and just right. that we process it, it, it comes out like coffee. That's so cool. And then the CPG products that you're selling are when you're selling tea, is it, does it look like regular tea? Is it just, is it just like the uh, yeah. The tea, but not in like that specially sort of processed way, or is it tea that actually people at home can brew like coffee? Yeah, it exactly. And so we market our tea. We always say um, anything you can do with coffee, we can do with tea. And right. so we market using our tea or brewing our tea with coffee mechanisms like French presses, pour overs, aero presses, right. coffee brewer even. So... We actually cool. do not recommend using tea brewers. Right. Interesting. And then um, and then there's also a sugar cube product oh, or yeah. two. Yes. So tell me about those. Yeah. So um, those were originally designed to be an accessory because we're like, I, I love having coffee and putting like a raw sugar cube and stirring it. And I used to do that all the time and then add... Uh, rose syrup because I love rose and it was too right. sweet. So I'm like, why not have the rose and the cube all in one and do that? And so that's kind of where the idea sprouted from. Um, and then we had, uh, so these cubes basically make instant flavored lattes. So if you have like a vanilla, you can drop it in a plain latte if you're on the hotel or, you know, airplane or make a vanilla latte. Um, and then we kind of expanded to our cocktail line. So if you have a shot of vodka, put the cosmopolitan in, it's an instant cosmopolitan. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah. And then we have like the mimosa line. So if you have a glass of champagne and you don't have orange juice in your purse, drop it in. You can exactly. It's like a bath bomb for a drink. Yes. Yes. Okay. Amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, that's and they very even look cool. Like bath bombs too. People are always cool. like, <laughs> "Yeah, I love that." Okay, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back and talk about the big tank experience. This episode is brought to you by Square. As a small business owner, I know how challenging this time is for all of us. We're faced with challenges we've never encountered before, and we're all uncertain about what's to come. Square has been working hard to help restaurants and businesses adapt by providing tools they need to be nimble and keep customers safe. One of these tools is Square Online Store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery. It's totally free to set up your online menu and pricing and easy to keep updated. If you're already using Square Point of Sale, you can automatically import your whole menu online. 
You can also start selling Square e-gift cards on your online store so customers can show their support. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's possible by visiting square.com slash go slash in the sauce. I'm back with Allison Devon of Tespressa. Okay, Allison, I couldn't watch the actual video. I watched like a half a minute, I think, where you... I you were not thrilled <laughs> in in the clip that I saw crying on national um, TV for <laughs> listen you know what I wouldn't go on show I would be eaten alive so like Godspeed and all the power to you but yeah. at what point in your it, like how did Shark Tank happen where were you in the life of the business. I want to hear, was it, I, it seems like it was helpful from a press perspective and like a getting your name out there kind of perspective. Um, but I'd love to know sort of like, you know, all of the details and how it happened. Absolutely. So Shark Tank. Okay. So Shark Tank is my biggest inspiration. I watched it all the time. It was my favorite show to go home and watch. And Uh I was like, all right, if they can do it, I can do it. Let's yep. do this. And so when I first started the business, I think I started in January and there was a casting in March. I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to go. F it. I'm just And what go. were you you were at that point it was going to be a shop, right? Or was like what what did you what was your vision for the company when you went? Like what were they investing in? I had no idea what I was doing at the time, to be quite honest. Okay, like, cool. All right, great. I, <laughs> I was just like, That's always a good answer. I, I'm like, I have big visions. I'm going to be doing big things. This is going to be a global brand. Um, you need to hear all about this. So at the time when I went to Shark Tank, I had, I don't even think I had packaged product. I No, I did. Right. Have, I just did a Kickstarter and had the packaged products. And, um, so in month three, I was also in a store, so I was able to find a place to kind of like, a uh, base, uh, I was able to find a, a storefront to sell all the products out. So, right. um, so I had that. So when I presented to them, I, I think looking back, I'm like, oh, I probably wouldn't have invested in myself either because I honestly had no idea what I was selling. I was just like, right, this is big vision. I'm here. And quite honestly, I was surprised that I even got that far. Right. (laughs) I I was just, you know, um, but. What did they tell you? Like, what did they, did they say, what are you, what are we getting, what are we making an investment in? Like, did you, and how did you value what you were even off? Like, how did, what, how did you even do it? So I literally came up with a valuation and what I was going to do with the money while I was standing in line for the audition. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> I had, I'm telling you, I had no idea what I was doing. I'm just like, I'm just going to take a nosedive in and just go for it. And so wow. I think honestly, looking back, I think a, a lot of the reasons why I did go on was because of my blind confidence. I was just like, you know, I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to go with it. And I was so confident in what I was doing. And, and I just had a vision. I just had this fire and I still do now, but it's just funny looking back at like little me before doing that. And I'm like, right. wow, I had no idea what I was doing. I know. Well, it's funny. Cause I was talking to someone about this podcast and I started it two months after we launched in Whole Foods. Mm. which was two months after we launched. I mean, that that was, we launched, you know, we had our first purchase order in March of 2018. And oh. I think the first podcast episode was like in June. Um, wow. And I had really, I was just really asking questions because I, I knew we had something that people wanted, but it was right. like, I could see, I could see like a hundred feet in front, but I couldn't see anything past three feet. Mm. So it was like bet- between three and a hundred was completely foggy, but yeah. I knew kind of what, 
what I was trying to get to or what I thought I was trying to get to. And that hasn't changed all that much. Um, but I listened back to some of the episodes and some of my questions and I'm like, oh, I really <laughs> didn't know what the hell I was talking about. And I mean, I learned along, you know, hopefully people listen in some sort of order. Right. Um, or I, I mean, I guess, I don't know. Some people don't, I'm sure. But at least they can kind of follow the trajectory of me and the brand learning, which was kind of the point. I mean, the point was, you know, in real time, almost like, you know, not how I built this, but like, how am I going to build this Um, and figuring it out? But what do you wish, like, what do you wish you had known back when you went on? Or, I mean... Do you wish you had gone on later? I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm it, usually I, at the time after that happened, cause I was crying, you know, on air in front of them for a long time and I just kind of lost it. Um, I, I was, I was defeated. It was, it just took so much work to get there. And you know what, sometimes you're just caught up in like the idea of like what things are supposed to look like and it just doesn't go as planned. And I just, it was just all welcome to life. Yeah. You know, and then cameras are on you. These people that you've been idolizing for so long are just right there. And it's just like, I just had like a breakdown and that was probably like at the time I considered that one of the biggest failures of my life. And I was just like, wow. Like I, cause I didn't prep for it, honestly. And it was apparent, like I, I, I blew it. I just, you know, I blew like the biggest opportunity ever. Like most people would kill to be at the spot. And I just got up there and treated it like whatever and just blew it. Um, Mm -hmm. But if anything, I I'm glad it happened the way it did because I learned so much from it. And I don't think there's anything that I could have known at that time. Like you just don't know what you don't know. You Um, don't. Yeah. Damon John says that all the time. And like, I didn't get it until now. It's like, yeah. You know, like there's no way to learn all these things that they were talking about. There's no way to learn how to be an entrepreneur or what to do as an entrepreneur until yep. you've like gone you through, go all through these it. players. Yeah. You know? Yep. And you learn from it. And so that was kind of like my biggest failure. And from then, after seeing how great it was from the publicity and everything else that kind of blossomed out of it. I was just like, you know, I, I should be taking a different look at so-called failures and learning mm-hmm. from them because there has to be good yeah. that comes from it. And that's kind yeah. of like the same approach I'm doing with like everything with the coronavirus and everything. I'm like, you know, like this totally sucks going through right now, but I, I have to learn from it. Like something good will come from it. And I just got to trust yeah. that. I've been, I think I've quoted my son's soccer coach before, but he has a, when, you know, pep kind of talk for the team and it's like there, you don't lose, you either win or you learn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot more to learn when things don't go so perfectly. And I honestly think that, you know, a lot of people have been kind of lulled into a false confidence because money has been pretty easy to come by in a lot mm-hmm. of ways in the last couple of years, not for all brands and certainly, you know, not for all people raising money. Um, but the it's it's been easier to have a so-so product and an okay brand and kind of lulled into thinking that you're crushing it um, than, you know, than it might be going forward. And right. one interesting thing that I've learned is, you know, uh, you know, the the founders that I've spoken to, you know, again, and I'm not trying to make it into like a, you know, whole sort of social statement, but women and founders of color definitely tend to project more realistically when they're making financial projections and they tend to be a little more conservative with their spending. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's going to be an interesting time to see, you know, sort of a shift maybe in, I don't know, and how companies are doing it. Um, because right. I think we tend to have contingency plans 
just kind of naturally. Um, and we tend not to shoot for necessarily the moon naturally. Again, that's right. a very broad statement. And, you know, I, I well, don't love making sort of the big gender sort of like statements, but it, it tends to be kind of true. Yeah. I mean, when this all went down, I, I, I've i actually accepted that I could lose the business and I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, right. And from there, and I, you're right, like it's, uh, I've always been very frugal and very, uh, I've really overstretched the, <laughs> my resources and use like right. every single penny. And with this, it's like, you got to even stretch it further. And yep. Um, yeah, no, I would agree with that. And it's, it's been difficult. It's, it's interesting to see the things that are happening. And, um, I think after I kind of accepted that this could be a possibility and I didn't want to like, cause I, cause part of me was just like, oh, I should just stop everything. I should not do yeah. anything. I should, you know, uh, what is it going to look like for me personally? Like, you know, yep. like a lot of people have, I mean, a lot of founders have had the same feelings, even ones that are selling a lot right now right. they they feel like misaligned you know um so you're not alone in that absolutely and it, it's just i don't know like honestly like i i wouldn't be open i'm in the store right now if it wasn't for the ppp um right i'm so thankful for it and i'm taking it as an opportunity to like use that as a testing grounds to see if we can make this business model work yeah. Um, you know, it sounds though, like, even if, you know, like in my case, you know, even if the brick and mortars don't necessarily work that, I mean, that, that is why you go into product, right? right. It's, you know, the movement of people is the hardest thing to move. The movement of product, you know, is lighter. Obviously the movement of technology is the lightest. So those right. are the smart folks, but the products, um, you know, they're, they sound cool. And I mean, especially, you know, a, like a bath bomb for your drink, it's almost like they're fun. They're beautiful. It's different than like a little powder. Um, right. You know, are you, as you're kind of, you know, obviously you've, you've got things in the air and you've got a lot of different things that are taking your time. And I applied for the PPP. And so I know what like a Kafka-esque nightmare the whole thing is. So it's not like we have a ton of energy. No. You know, we're trying to keep one thing alive. It's hard to sort of like breathe life into a new thing while you're trying to keep something else alive. So I get that. Um, yeah. But are you kind of are you thinking about innovation and are, has this sort of changed maybe the way that you're thinking, maybe instead of planning on opening five more shops in the next two years, you're going to spend that money on product development and on, yep. you know, growing that part of the business. And how are you thinking about that stuff? I mean, you nailed it on the head. Like for me, I've already, one, I've already accepted it, this all could go wrong. So I'm, I'm setting like a timeline to see like, okay, well, this, right. will this new normal work. And uh, right now I'm kind of being very conservative with the, with the brick and mortars. We did have plans of expansion and now it's just like, I don't know if that's the, the best thing to do right now, considering how sales are going. And so um, if anything, during this pandemic, I've been the busiest I've ever been yeah. in running the company. Like I mentally exhausted just every yep. day. I'm always trying to figure out new plans, new everything. And um yeah. So right now I'm actually going through like a rehaul in the store model and kind of like doing the same with the uh, online and uh, direct to consumer and kind of investing more of my efforts there. Um, yep. So, yep. yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think um, it's funny. Someone was listening, I guess the last couple of weeks, a friend of mine called me and she was talking about this podcast and she was like, your voice sounded so exhausted. Like I, you know, I mean, like anyone you, yeah, you know, this is my regular voice that I talk with, but you know, when you're doing a recording and you're, you know, thousands of people are listening to yeah. it, you know, you want it to not be like, hi, this is Allie, Ugh, the sauce. Totally. Like I tried <laughs> to, you know, be 
you know, my regular self, but my friends really heard it. You know, they really heard oh. how depleted I was. Um, and, you know, still am to some extent. I think that letting it go, I do feel lighter already, even though I'm sort of mourning it. Um, I mean, but, you know, there, there it's even the founders I know that business is cranking. Yeah. Um, they're still worried. You know, Absolutely. they're worried that it's cranking too fast or they're worried about keeping up with demand or they're, you know, things are coming up on their team that had been kind of quiet before. And now it's like all of the stuff from the bottom is gurgling up. So they're, it's just like marriages are breaking up and partnerships and, and you know, there there's like this this churning that's happening. And I think all of us are exhausted. And honestly, anyone who's like, yeah, man, it's been amazing. I'm just kind of like, well, maybe we shouldn't talk (laughs) for a while because I don't think I'm going to enjoy this conversation. Um, Yeah. But so tell me a little bit also, because I know that you did the Tory Burch. um, Did you do the 10,000 women owned or what? Like there are a few different. I want to talk about it just because I think also I haven't talked a lot on the show about incubators. Um, and you know, we did the Chobani incubator, which was incredible. Um, awesome. but I think there are a lot of programs that are out there that offer support. Um, and you know, and, and give, give you a chance, like, as you know, you and I talked about earlier to like work on your business instead of being in the business. So tell me a little bit about that program um, and, you know, what what you learned and how you would sort of tell founders about it. Yeah, so I love incubators. Um, it, the Tory Birch one was amazing. Um, I, I was the first, first line of uh, fellows that she came out with. So at the time she had 10, flew us out to New York, and we kind of did this, like, business boot camp which was phenomenal. She had like all these, you know, experts at different realms, like digital marketing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, she had Lisa Price there sharing her story of how she started from the, like she was there in person, which I'm a huge fan. And so <laughs> um, it was just amazing. And then not only that, but after we did the boot camp, like, you know, you met other entrepreneurs who all had like all kinds of different kinds of businesses. And it was really cool just to have like peers to kind of like vent to talk to, you know, bounce ideas. And I'm still close with a lot of them. And, um, Tory Birch foundation, even after the program, you're kind of like in this family of this network. And so, um, they've kind of changed their structure to where they have, uh, I believe like a hundred fellows in right now. So it's, it's, or maybe it's like 50, I should know this, right. <laughs> but, um, they kind of had this like platform, like this Facebook platform where we, it's, uh, we all talk to each other. There's like groups, there's like places you can post and, you know, and, um, they've just been great. Like if anything, like I have never, if anything, I, what I learned from Tory Birch foundation is don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah. Um, and Tori Birch said that personally to all of us. She's like, that's like, once I kind of figured out how to do that, that's when my business really took off. And I really yep. took that to heart. And since then, I've just been very shameless about asking for help. I say like, hey, like, do you guys know anybody in this industry? Do you guys know anybody in this industry? And yep. every single ask that I've given, they've always had something to give back to me. Um, yeah. And it's, it's incredible. Like she's right. Like all yep. you do is ask. <laughs> it's true. I think, I think that's, it's such an interesting, right? Because again, as people who start building things, mm-hmm. um, it's, we're used to kind of building things. We're used to figuring it out and we're used to, you know, toughing it out and, you know, Almost, it's it's lonely, you know. We're it the is. only ones thinking about this at three in the morning. Um, you know, it's why a lot of people choose to have co-founders. But right. I think, you know, I I agree. My you know my friends from the Chobani incubator. You know, I called one of them the other day because I was talking to someone, and he said something offhanded like, "Wow, something about your spending." 
And I'm actually really frugal about my spending and like our monthly burn is, is pretty tight. And I just got, my confidence got rocked. Like I was already just sort of teetering a little bit and then I couldn't get it out of my head. And, you know, I, they know each other and I called her and I was like, can we just have a very candid conversation about like how much you're spending on this, how much you're spending on that? Like we, and it, she kind of stabilized me, but also she was so candid you know, and, and this isn't the kind of thing that we all talk about with each other, you know, or share investors, you know, I love introducing investors, my investors to other founders. I love it. Like if I can give them a great opportunity to invest in something, it makes me feel great. And obviously connecting a founder that I love with a great investor. Um, and I think, you know, the more that we collaborate, the better, but these, the 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 incubators and like the you know the these sort of you know things that create these cohorts um they build that for you you know you don't have to go out and like find all these people that are sort of at a similar stage or sort of having similar questions it's just it's right there on top of what you get from the actual like professionals in in the group exactly and, and yeah. if anything, that's the most valuable thing is just having those peers and really being open and, you know, utilizing those peers. Like I, I tell them what's going on. I'm like, look, our cash flow is not looking hot. Like this is what's going on. What would you do? And they're like, oh my gosh, I actually went through the exact same thing. Cause you right. know, some, like you said, being an entrepreneur is so lonely sometimes. And sometimes you're yeah. just like, this looks so bad. I don't think this is normal and it's right. be embarrassing to, to bring yeah. it up to anybody. Will they judge me? And honestly, at this point, I'm like, whatever, like I, I'll, I'm an open book. I'm going to put it out there. Yeah. And what I've learned is that every single entrepreneur I talk to, even the worst things that happen in the business, they're like, yep, went through it too. Here's, yep. What, yep. here's how I navigated out of it. And you're just like, it's just so freeing, you know? Yes. I agree because it's like, it's one thing to have the actual kind of storm. It's another thing to feel like shame during the storm because, you know, the shame, the storm isn't, isn't, you know, unless you've grossly mismanaged something, which likely you haven't, you know, it's just more, you're figuring it out. You know, your margins are going to be crappy for the first couple of years until you figure out how to make them better. And as long as you know that that is something you need to do, Right. Then you're on the right path, you know, things like that. Okay. So to, to kind of wind it up, you've given a lot of really good advice. Ask for questions. You can't, you know, ask for help. You can't know what you don't know. Don't let your failures, you know, derail you. And I say failures in quotes. Um, any other advice that you wish someone had given you when you were starting out or what you would like someone to be? Yeah. Um, and a Tori Birch mentor actually mentioned this to me. She said, go start a relationship with your banker now, um, get finance contingencies now. And at the time I was like, but why? I don't want to have, you know, a line of credit, all these things. I don't want to have debt. Like I'm fine the way I am. And, um, you know, I am half, uh, Korean. So <laughs> having debt is not really an option yeah. for us. And that was kind of like a big thing for me to overcome too. But um, yeah, just, it's really important to have those relationships with your vendors. And yeah, with that's your, a great point. Yeah. I, I, and I didn't understand what she meant now. Cause I'm like, things are good. We're making money. And then when things got bad, it just, I was like, Oh, I understand yep. now. And so yeah, you need to know who you can call and be like, I will pay you. I just need another 10 days or, you know, and if right. you don't have the stable sort of trust underpinning that relationship, it's going to be a problem. I think the line of credit thing is real too. You know, the minute that you can, Absolutely. you know, put some debt on because, you know, unfortunately it's hard. It's hard because banks don't, don't love new businesses just right you know and and a lot of them want personal guarantees and that's really but the minute that you can i mean it's i have friends who they just do debt they haven't raised a dollar in equity Mm -hmm. and it's a little more expensive 
on this side of things, right? Because, right. but at the end of the day, they have, you know, they're retaining a lot of ownership of their company rather than like continue round after round giving away equity. Oh yeah. And I am in that bucket. Um, up right. <laughs> we have, I have a hundred percent ownership company and I've been like scraping at the bottom of the barrel since January. Right, right. <laughs> well, there will be a time where you will be on how I built this instead of how the hell am I going to build this? And you're going to be like, and this is how I did it. You know, debt, debt, debt. Oh, um, yeah. Well, yeah. Allison, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm sure you will figure it out um, because that's what founders do. And it sounds like you have a couple of great balls in the air. Um, and, you know, I can speak from personal experience. There's, it's just, you know, weird when your emotional energy kind of goes away from something that just is zapping it. Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden those creative sparks start flying again and the fun starts again. Um, right. So I know that will happen for you. Matt, thank you for um, engineering us from afar. We didn't have any engineering glitches today, I don't think. That, Ooh -ooh. Yeah, that, I, that, that didn't have anything to do with me. That just happened on its own. Oh, well, I think of you as like, you know, it all has to do with you. But <laughs> maybe that's just my reverence for you. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sauce listeners, thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week um, and many, many more. I have a In bunch of really great by summer guests line up, uh, lined up. So thanks for listening to another episode of In the Sauce. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.